This is the Inside Cloud Channel podcast. I'm your host, Segert van der Linden. Some topics of the web are no-brainers, of course. Reliability, cost optimizations, those topics are important when designing your cloud architecture. Well, today's final episode of this mini-series is also about such a topic, security. Carlo Caravaglia and Jurian Artenboogaard of Inside are here to talk about security. Hi guys. Hello. Thank you. Welcome. A no-brainer. Security, of course, that's important. Um, uh, Carlo, uh, can, can you explain a little bit how is security in a cloud environment different from an on-prem environment? Okay, let, let, let me start um, saying that I worked from a couple of years in Checkpoint. And when I started to work there, before I started to work there, it was like, yeah, word is, is a nice thing and et cetera. And then when I started there, I see so many things that I said, okay, word is a bit more worrisome than I thought. Um, and it's very important that very, very, very important that you put security at all level in, in your environment. And from on-prem to cloud, actually, there is uh, real no difference. The only difference is that in cloud perspective, you have something that is called shared responsibility, which is basically the thing that Maxo says or the cloud says, everything from the hypervisor below, I'm handling. So Microsoft, Google, uh, AWS is handling because they handle the physical security, the hardware security, etc. But then everything you put up there is up to you, dear partner. So if you, as, as let's, say, let's put this example, if you put a VM on on-prem data center and you publish that VM on the internet without a firewall, the, well, the first thing I already know some people would be moved uncomfortably on the chair because nobody would ever do that. But suddenly, when you move to the cloud, people start to do that because they think cloud is secure by, by, by design, by default. Yes, but from the hypervisor below, not from the hypervisor above. So if you put a VM in cloud and you publish the IP in internet without any firewall, and we did some testing also in Checkpoint, time 15 minutes, the VM got already 150 targeted attacks. 15 minutes, one five. But this is not uh, because people know, yeah, there is Azure, let's keep watching Azure and the VM, etc. Just because um, uh, uh, hacking is a business. So there are actually are automatic tools that every day, every time, every second sniff for the web in search for IPs that uh, are open. At the moment, they see some IP that, that answer in specific ports. They just, yeah, let's try everything we've got automatically. And if they, at the end, happen to enter, again, some automatism, et cetera, automation there happen, or just uh, a person get alerted, and then the person start to do the thing. Um, so this is, this is the world, actually, we're living in. And uh, I have a lot of examples in here. And yeah, truly... Um, um, Secure your environment. Don't think the cloud is defaultly secured. Yes, maybe in Azure have the NSG, the next security group, but it's just a normal on and off firewall. Put a lot of uh, firewalls and security as the same you will put as a premise. In that perspective, it's not that different from an on-prem uh, uh, environment. 
you have you have the responsibility to 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 make it secure. Yeah, the only difference is that in the cloud also you have a lot of tools available to make your environment secure because it's not just about firewall, but then if you expand also to uh, uh, account securities, account takeovers, multi-layer security, conditional access, privileged identity management, there is a lot of things then you can have already out of the box available in the cloud. So in that perspective, cloud is more secure because it allows you to have much more tooling and power than on-premise. And on this perspective, I shoot out a couple of numbers. First, think, dear listener, uh, think yourself how much you invest in security and how many people you have that actually do security, if you have any vertical people that actually do security. And compared to the fact that Microsoft invests uh, 1.5 billion every year, and they have, I don't remember exactly, from three to 5,000 people that only do security in their infrastructure and build security service. And also the security service that Microsoft makes available for you is the same they're using inside themselves. A little bit of difference. <laughs> So, so uh, it's it's uh, I, I was I was wanting to say it's it's also uh, a matter of trust, trusting that Microsoft does their job. But when I listen to you uh, uh, counting those numbers, uh, they're doing their job just just fine. So, but Microsoft also has to trust uh, their partners and their and their end users to uh, to uh, secure their part of the environment. Let's say um, there is a part of trust, of course, because you trust that Microsoft is doing their part on the uh, uh, on-prem, let's say, on the physical part of the data center, so the physical security and such. But also there is the logic of a zero trust in cloud uh, because, or the whitelist concept, because uh, by default, you can do anything. And then you start to apply whitelisting, so you start to to apply permission to people to do things. And again, 99% uh, of the time when a hack happened is because the problem was between the chair and the keyboard. I've seen a lot of times partners where everyone is admin and owner or subscription. Uh, there is no segmentation. There, uh, there is no uh, access control. There, it, pretty much even the, the janitor can just delete VMs. So in that perspective, uh, yeah, you can have the best firewall in place and the best security system, but then the janitor logs in with his account and delete everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so it's uh, so then we, we arrive at the topic of identities. Uh, I think we've we've had a, a whole episode on that uh, earlier uh, in this in this podcast. Um, those identities are are really important, but it's also some fine line between giving people just enough access to do what they have to do and not that much access so they can do harm. Yeah, follow the, uh, the uh, methodology of uh, giving uh, least access or little, uh, as, as little access as, as needed for uh, uh, only the time when it's needed. So, um, you know, you, you, you need identities because otherwise the systems won't uh, recognize who is who or what is what and, and who can do what or what can do what. Um, but they're also, they're vulnerable. 
because of course you can you can secure a, a server for something or you can put a firewall or uh, all kind of security layers in there. But if someone just provides their user name and password to someone, which is possible of course, or makes a mistake or, or leaves a um, uh, authenticated stick uh, somewhere in the train or his laptop, whatever, you know, that's not something you can control with putting a firewall in place. But of course you can put multi-factor authentication on top of, uh, of, of a username and password. Uh, you can add uh, another uh, layer of security there or another patch of security there. So um, it's, it's, I won't say it starts uh, with identities, but it's an easy and effective way to, uh, to limit uh, the risk of being, you know, being hacked or being compromised. Yeah, because uh, uh, in that perspective, it, 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 there is what is called the blast radius. So you want to have the proper permission to the proper uh, users uh, for them to just do their work. So if an account, a core of an account is get hacked, the damage is limited only in that area and not to the whole environment. And uh, I, I want to say that, baby, because it's the beginning of the podcast and, and people are still listening. Uh, please, 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 this are kind of my personal battle, enable MFA or two-factor authentication or whatever you want to call it, is free in Azure AD, is free, you just have to tick a box. And enable MFA just saves, secured 99.9% .9 of the account takeovers. That can happen... Uh, for any reason, by uh, spare phishing emails, by social engineering, by whatever you want. So it's about of trust. People tend to trust other people by default, and they stop trusting only when they get hurt. So that's human nature. So account takeover is something that happens very, very often because, say, there is a, a promotion email or whatever that you just go to the link and just, ah, interesting, go to the link and your account is gone. So that's very important to have MFA on. Yeah, yeah. So that's noted. MFA, important. In the previous episode on reliability, we, we've discussed that um, the WAF states, and it, it's kind of, kind of a basic principle, you can't prevent failures, only minimize their impact. Does the same apply to security? Well, somehow they are related. Um, because... Uh, if there's a security breach or you're compromised or an account is being taken over or you have been injected with ransomware, which is unfortunately a thing that happens every day. And, you know, you can read it in the newspaper, but I think we have multiple customers per day that are uh, compromised or taken over with ransomware. Um, that's one of the things you have to take in mind. So what if something happens, you know, how, how resilient, how reliable is my environment? And uh, when something such as a disaster happens, you know, what do I do? Do I pay the, uh, uh, <laughs> the Bitcoins to the, after Bitcoins to the hackers? Or do we have a, fill, uh, a rollback in place? So do we have a, a, a secure backup somewhere? Or do we have a secure uh, a monitor environment running somewhere? Those are things that you can take into consideration and into your architectural design uh, when, when you are architecting and, and thinking of your, of your environment. Um, so yeah, somehow they, they, are, uh, they are related. But if we get back to the question, you know, if you can't prevent failures, 
right? No, I, I think it's, and, and I like to use the example. I'm an example guy as well, uh, you know, with, with your own house. If someone, someone really needs to, really wants to break in and they really want to uh, get into your house, they will. But how, how soon do you recognize it? Because we always divide uh, companies and, and, and customers into two groups. We have a group that have been compromised, that have been hacked. And we have a group of customers and partners and, and customers that think they are not hacked. You know, I, I, I think everyone somehow will get uh, compromised by a security linkage or a security threat. Absolutely true. Uh, the only two type of partners, the partner that have been hacked and part of that they do not know they have been hacked. And um, the thing is, um, again, on security, it doesn't exist 100% security. If someone is trying to say that 100% security is lying because that doesn't exist. The only thing you can do with security is two things. The first one is to reduce at minimum the chance for people letting in. So the example you did with the house, uh, uh, reinforced door, reinforced bar, the windows, and etc. But still, if someone wants to get in, they will get in. So the second step is be able to see real time that that is happening, what is happening, try to block and try to contain the breakout, and then have all the information to be able to clean up this breakout. These are very, two very important things. So it's uh, also, yeah, what we've seen also in Checkpoint uh, is that a company in average understand that it's been hacked uh, in average six months after the, the event happened. So after six months, they discovered that there's someone in the system that entered six months prior. So uh, that's why having the proper uh, system tools, also third parties in Azure Marketplace, plenty of third party, Checkpoint, Palo Alto, whatever you want, but have also the ability to react in case of a, a whole happen. So if, okay, I tried everything I could, but at the end, uh, the bad thing happened, there is someone inside, how I'm able to see what's doing, see what has done. Also in terms of GDPR today is very important to see what these people has done, what has touched, what kind of information has reached and what kind of data, if it was able, has been able to exfiltrate from the system. And also this is very important because you need to prove all the documentation and data to the authority, otherwise you are subject to very big fines. In, it's not also in, in this perspective, I want to clarify that this has been always a, a gray topic. It's not that GDPR says you need to be 100% secure because that's impossible. It says that you must put the uh, best effort possible. And if that happened, you must provide documentation of actually what happened. But of course, if you do the best thing you could, there's no fine for you because you try the best thing uh, you could to protect your information. As we said, it happens. Your security can get breached, or maybe uh, we can say it will get breached. Um, what then? What should you do? Is is there some uh, logical step to take? Yeah, as I said, uh, it's, it's a term of when and, on, and not if. And when that happens, you have to have in place all kind of... Um, um, uh, reporting controls that shows you to uh, uh, what happened and how to react. 
Uh, as I said, you can use third party, but as well, of course, you can use, for example, Azure Sentinel to uh, have control on that kind of activity. So uh, uh, you can track down all the, the smart steps of the attack and then seeing uh, what happened, seeing the lateral movement, see what kind of services have been touched, uh, seeing uh, what kind of information, as I said, eventually uh, got exfiltrated. And um, because it's not important just to try to stop the attack, of course, but actually it's important also to see what happened with that attack. Just another very basic example, but actually is reality. Let's think a bit about a big company. Maybe they have 5,000, 10,000 employees. Then after six months, they discover, oh, look at here. We have we had a, a, an attack six months ago. There is a command control service uh, that is working six months in our environment. Then let's say they're able to stop and close the connection. But then I can imagine the IT people looking at each other's eyes and okay, we have 10,000 computers to control. Uh, it's a hell of work and very expensive work, especially it's very expensive if you don't have the right tool that gives you the right information to be able to trust, trace down what happened and watch what actually system has done, has touched and what is done. Because otherwise, you just say, hey, I have to review 10,000 computers or maybe reimage 10,000 computers and that's a hell of a work and uh, very expensive. Instead, you say, okay, I have the tools and information in place. I say, okay, out of these 10,000, uh, the, this attack was able to touch 10, 20, 100 of them. And then I can just got uh, a targeted solution for those computers, for example. You've been listening to the Inside Cloud Channel podcast. I'm your host, Segert van der Linden. This was the final episode on the WEF, or Well-Architected Framework. A special thanks to Insights Carlo Caravaglia and Jurjen Uitenbogaert. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast platform. If you want to know more about Insight and its services, that's all on insight.com. Thank you for listening, and hopefully you'll join us once again for future episodes of the Insight Cloud Channel podcast.